This is Mike Bartolomeo, pastor of Church for the Harvest in Alexandria, Minnesota. The Bible is the Word of God. Within its pages are revealed God's perfect will and plan for mankind, the answers to life's hardest questions, and instructions on how to live a victorious Christian life. I believe the following message can change your life if you will let it. Join us now as we share the Word of God today. So, Father, we just pause right now, Lord, and we lift up the remainder of the service to you. Lord, we thank you that you are here. We thank you that, uh, that you speak to us. We thank you that you show us what you're doing in our lives so that we can follow you and that we can think correctly. And, Father, we lift up the rest of the service, the, uh, the Houston team. Lord, we ask that you would give them divine appointments so that they would be able to spread your love and your good news, your gospel, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So that, that video uh, is kind of a fun video because it's the, it, it shows the spiritual warfare that, uh, that we get to go out and do stuff and go out and, and uh, give the devil a black eye and, uh, you know, wield our sword of the spirit and take ground and things like that. <clears throat> and that's important, uh, but there's another kind of a spiritual warfare too, and that is the one that goes on in our mind. Uh, it's maybe not so fun. But it's just as important, and we need, we need that foundation, that clear thinking, so that it doesn't take longer to take the hill or to take the territory that we're, we're told to, to take. Uh, and if we don't do that, then it takes, you know, we might not ever get there. Uh, we might have a higher casualty rate in that battle. And so it's important that we have our, our thinking correctly. Um, and, you know, you can do both at the same time. It's not as... Uh, it's, uh, it's not as efficient, but sometimes we have to do that too. But every one of us is born for battle. Uh, I was reminded about this psalm, this verse in Psalms. It's uh, 144.1 yesterday, so I don't have anything on it. But I wanted to read it because uh, I think it's great. It shows uh, the attitude of David and how he thought about the wars that he had to fight, uh, and spiritual wars in particular. It says, Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. And that's really the attitude that we need to have because life is a battle. Uh, we are to take ter uh, territory for the king, uh, for people to be impacted by our lives. We need there to be a shift, a shift in our neighborhoods and our schools. We need that shift to be in our businesses. Uh, we need the righteous shift in our government, amen? Those things have to happen, and we bring that change into a dark world and that kingdom into a dark world. But he's prepared us for battle. He's given us, uh, you know, he's wired us a certain way. He's given us certain experiences and insights to prepare us so that we're ready for that battle. So I would like us to... Just believe here today that we are going to have a breakthrough. We're going to expect breakthrough, especially in the area of our thinking. And our text is going to be 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. It's one of the spiritual warfare texts. The other one is that is most common that people know is Ephesians 6. And this one, uh, Paul wrote them both, and he said here, For, the, for we walk in the flesh... We do not war again according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are carnal 
I'm sorry, not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So we can see a couple things from this passage. One is Paul is telling us again that we are in war, that we have weapons for this warfare, that also... Uh, they're not carnal, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds and casting down arguments. And we take those thoughts captive and we compare them with the word of God or God's will to make sure that we're thinking correctly. And if we're not, we cast down those arguments. Does that make sense? <clears throat> so we're going to look at a couple definitions. The first is the stronghold. It's a fortification, a, a fortress, a walled city, the arguments and reasonings by which a disputant endeavors to fortify his position and defend it against an opponent. If the stronghold is a negative thought pattern, then the opponent is the truth. So a stronghold is a walled city. It's an easy way to think of it where an army or a raiding party can hide. Uh, I was going to look for small blocks, cardboard blocks, that maybe I could build a wall and, and as a visual to show that those thoughts are each individual block. But God's more important, he's more concerned with our thought pattern because that's where the enemy will hide from, or he will hide in that wall, and he will rest. It's a stronghold. He'll be able to rest there uh, and then to go out from there and attack us and still keel and destroy and we can't afford to think thoughts that God doesn't think about us. Because we can't know the will of God if we're, we're thinking incorrectly. Uh, if, if, we're, if our thought patterns are a place for the enemy to hide, uh, we, we just can't know the will of God. So the mindset on the flesh is death. It cannot obey the will of the Holy Spirit. So that's why Paul wrote in Romans 12, 2, that we should be transformed by the renewing of our mind so that we will know what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So what are the strongholds? How do we recognize them? Um, a lot of times we're blind to them. We have blind spots we can't see. Uh, sometimes other people can see our, our strongholds better than we can. Right, wives? But, you know, we're working on it. Uh, but some of those are fear, anger, lust, worry, hate, selfishness, pride, lack. Any earthly, fleshly, or carnal thing, unforgiveness, those kind of things can be a stronghold and affect our thinking. We'll just take one. We'll, just, we'll talk about worry. Worry is based in fear, and there's no positive outcome. It starts in fear and ends in destruction. And it's like a pacifier, you know, like a baby pacifier. The baby sucks on that pacifier, and they might, it, it pacifies them for a while. And the lie is we think that we're getting something. We think that we're getting somewhere. We think that we're affecting change, but really there's no change at all when we worry. So it can be a stronghold. The other is arguments, logismos, speculations, Imaginations, thoughts, discussions, decisions, judgments, computation, reasoning such as is hostile to the Christian faith. So it's these thoughts and imaginations 
these reasonings that are contrary to what God wants us to do or contrary to his word. A high thing uh, is the high ground in battle, an elevated place or thing, a defensive wall or castle, a walled city having a broad top with a walkway. I think we can all picture that. A barrier, a defensive wall, exalts is to raise up, to exalt self, to lift up or take up or be lifted up with pride, to exalt oneself, one's view, one's paradigm, or one's thought pattern. One more. I know definitions can be kind of boring, but when you ask a teacher to to talk, that's what you get. You get definitions. So casting down. And this one floored me, and it's, it's uh, you know, these things are foundational, so it's always good sometimes to shore up the foundation. It means to take down with violence. It means destruction, extinction, to demolish, to destroy, overthrow, to take captive one's own mind, to refute the subtle reasonings of opponents like likened to a fortress. So with my cardboard wall, I was going to come over and show you how violent that this can be and give it a roundhouse kick and knock it over, but I thought I might pull a muscle, so I, I uh, decided to skip it. But, but I want you to think of it as violence. When we understand that there is a thought pattern that we have that's keeping us from God's will and, and our victory, we need to cast it down with violence. So... I guess my analogy is, and I'm not a Patriots fan, even though Pastor Mike is, and look what that got him. But you have to recognize greatness when you see it, and Tom Brady, probably the the best quarterback ever in history, he owns just about every, or in the top three of every record there is out there. Uh, and, And lately, in the last few years, his favorite target has been Rod Gronkowski. And if you watch him, he's famous for his spikes. You know, when he scores a touchdown, he takes that football and he reaches up as high as he can and spikes that thing so hard that the, the football doesn't even have a chance. So if you can think of that as our thought pattern, and that's what we are to do with it, and that thing will fly 30 feet in the air or uh, 10 rows up, um, you know, in the stands, and I, I, I don't know how it doesn't hit him in the face, but I guess that's why he's a professional and I'm not. But, but it, it's violent. What does that look like in real life? For our thoughts that we have that are holding us back. These weapons are to be used against myself. That doesn't sound like a lot of fun, but we can't stay where we are and go deeper with God. We can't stay where we are and go higher or farther. We can't stay where we are with the same limited thinking and affect change in the dark world that he's asking us to affect. So it comes down to we need to be at war with our own minds or our minds are at war with God's purposes. There's a, I can't remember what the title is, but there's a, a business book out there that talks about kicking butt. But the author says, kick your own butt first. And I think the Apostle Paul would, would agree with that. Uh, we're going to look at Mark 8. 15 through 17, and this is where Jesus just fed the 4,000 with seven loaves and a few small fish. And uh, he's, he's warning the disciples in this passage of the leaven of Herod and the leaven of the Pharisees. And so he's telling them what to, or he's telling them to be careful of what they allow to affect their thinking. And the level of the Pharisees is, uh, it's a, a, a humanistic or a, uh, it's a, 
religious system, really, that doesn't have God at the center. God may be involved, but maybe he's on the outside. And so there's really no relationship, there's no power in that. And the leaven of Herod is a humanistic government. And hello, I think we can, we can all relate to that. So he's telling them to be careful with what they allow to influence the way they think. And he said, starting in verse 15, Then he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. So they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have no bread. And Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, Why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? He said, Why do you reason because you have no bread? And that word reason is the same word logismos or logizomai from 2 Corinthians 10. Why do you reason? Why? He's asking, why is your thought process against what God knows to be true or the truth? And we have a written account of this experience, so it's kind of easy. We can, we can point to him and say, well, duh, he just fed 4,000. Why, why didn't one of them stand up and say, bread? That's no problem. We're traveling with a guy that can feed thousands at a time from next to nothing. We don't need any bread. But he's challenging them. He's challenging their thought process and their thought patterns. He's telling them to found their thinking on him. So I wonder what areas of our life we can, we can say, why am I reasoning that way? That's not making sense. It doesn't line up with God's word. But here's the lesson those disciples saw all of those miracles of provision, and when we see miracles of provision, we lose the right to start any thought process with what we don't have. We need to found our thinking on what Jesus has provided. So, and, and he asks the question, is your heart still hardened? Because a hardened heart poisons the mind. Now we're going to look at... Uh, two passages out of Matthew, and they're in the same chapter, and there are two interactions between Jesus and Peter. And Jesus's reaction from those is 180 degrees different. It's completely different. So it's Matthew 16, 13, and it's where Jesus asks the disciples, he says, who do they say that I am? And the disciples say, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say Jeremiah. And then he said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, of course, stands up and says, well, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my father in heaven. So that's one reaction. He said, blessed are you because my father revealed that to you. And then a few verses later, Jesus is explaining to the disciples that he has to suffer the death that he has to endure. And Peter brings him aside, and the word says he actually, he brought him aside to rebuke him. He brought him aside and said, Jesus, no, let that not be unto you. And what did Jesus say? Get thee behind me, Satan. He didn't say, get thee behind me, you carnal man. That, that, that thinking isn't right. That thinking is holding me back. He said, your mind is on the things, of God, uh, the things of man, not the things of God. So that's why he said, get thee behind me, Satan. 
You are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. And we need to be aware of that too. When our thoughts are uh, become a stumbling block to what God knows to be true about us, that's what Jesus said to him. You are a stumbling block. That way of thinking is blocking me from my purpose in fulfilling my purpose that God has brought me to earth for. So, you know, I think it just shows that any, any human effort is always going to be a distant second without Jesus at the very center. That's where he needs to be. Colossians 1 says that everything was made by him and for him, and in him all things consist, means all things are held together, all things are able to stand in him. So it makes me wonder, I wonder if humanity in the way that we think is, if, if it's left to us naturally, I think it's negative. I think we have a negative bent in our thinking. So... So it's a distant second, but both of those scenarios are Jesus and Peter, and I hope you can see the two different reactions of Peter, and they're, they're in the same chapter. They're one after another. Um, and so there is, demonic in, there is demonic influence in our thinking. In Ephesians 4, and a lot of people say that if you're a Christian, you can't have a demonic influence. But Paul in Ephesians writes to a very mature Christian body. He says that um, he says that don't give place to the devil. So if a very mature Christian body can give place to the devil, and I believe it's in their thinking, we have to be on guard for it. Uh, we're going to stay with Peter here and go, go to 1 Peter 1.10. And this time, now Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit. It's after the day of Pentecost. And Peter is actually talking about, uh, talking about the trials that we have to go through, the same trials that he rebuked Jesus for. Now he's saying that these trials are a good thing. So if you're going through a trial, it's a good thing. He's saying that our faith is grown in those trials. Our faith is revealed. God's glory is revealed when he is allowed to take us through those trials and bring us to the other side. He starts in verse 7 and says that grace will come to us when Jesus is revealed, and that is much more precious than gold. And in uh, uh, verses 10 and 12, he says that prophets actually searched for this process that we get to, uh, that we get to do. Prophets searched for it, and they wanted eagerly to see it. And he also says that angel, angels desire to look into this process too. So verse 13, Therefore gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. So Peter's talking about the loins of our mind. Isn't that a bizarre concept? The loins of our mind. And Paul says something similar in the other, um, the other armor of God passage in uh, Ephesians 6.14. He says, having girded your loins with truth. And your loins are, you know, where it can be translated hips. It's where your regenerative power is. It's where offspring is produced. It's where our fruit of the looms are. Just seeing if you're paying attention. 
But that's where the procreative power is. And Paul said, gird up your loins with truth. And Peter uses the same concept as it relates to our thinking and said, gird up the loins of your mind. Why? Because that's, he knows that's where our thoughts are based. The loins of our mind are where our thoughts come from. And the offspring of our thoughts are our thought patterns. The offspring of our thought patterns are our actions. The offspring of our actions are our habits. The offspring of our habits are our circumstances, the very life that we live, what we see in our life right now. So it's important that we gird up, tighten, support the mind and what we think. And we can rest our hope our expectation fully upon the grace that is to be brought to us at the revelation or the unveiling of Jesus. The Holy Spirit unveils Jesus in the Scripture for us. So if, if we need a healing grace, we find it in the Scripture that Jesus is our healer. He's our great physician. If we need... Um, if we need to be restored in some way, if you have a, a relationship that needs to be restored, Jesus can restore it for us. Same for provision. If you have a need, Jesus gives us the grace. When we find it in Scripture, that grace is revealed to us and, and given to us uh, to overcome that. So what kind of grace do you need? What kind of grace do we need today? We can speak that over our lives. In the second half of John 5, Jesus addresses the Pharisees whose life it is to study the Scripture. We're talking about seeing Jesus in the Scripture. He said, You search the Scriptures, for in them you think that you have eternal life. And these are they who testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you, not, that you might have life. He wasn't putting down the Scripture. He was exalting the process that should end in our knowledge of him. We study, we study the word of God to find the word, capital W, of God. We study the written page so we can be introduced to the man himself. Our eyes need to be unveiled to things that are available to us. And when we do, when we encounter the person of God, we receive revelation of who he is and that grace can come. We receive what we need in order to bring light into a dark world. We, we understand what we need and we come, away for, we come away with that with an extreme value for people. Knowing that uh, we're not compromising truth, but it's love for people that actually changes hearts and changes um, attitudes and behavior. There's just a couple more supporting here. 2 Peter 1, 2, grace and peace be multiplied to you. How would you like that? In the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Grace and peace can be multiplied to us in the knowledge or unveiling of Jesus. Let me read what Thayer says about that word knowledge. It says, knowledge of God, especially the knowledge of his holy will and the blessings he has bestowed and constantly bestows on the men through Christ, on men, mankind. First Peter 4.1, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself also with the same mind. So we have the same mind of Christ. We can have the same thinking, the, the same thoughts, the same intentions, and the same thought process. 
So what are these weapons? Paul says that there are weapons that we can use to do this. But he doesn't really tell us. I'd like him to list about five or six of them right there so it's easy and we can just implement, but he didn't put a nice little bow on it for us. So, so we have to find them. But uh, I, think, I think that a lot of these are easily seen in Scripture. One is uh, found in, in that other passage of the Armor of God passage um, from Ephesians, and it's the helmet of salvation. It deals specifically with the mind. In Ephesians 6.17, he said, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. There are some weapons. So we have to think saved. Most of those, most of those other armors, if that's a word, uh, are defensive in nature. There's the sword of the Spirit, but the helmet of salvation, I believe, is a weapon also. It's a weapon against our thinking incorrectly. And we need to think saved. We need to think we have salvation from whatever we need salvation from. When, when God asks us or gives us a purpose and something pops up in the, in the way of that purpose, we have weapons to, to overtake them. So we need to think that we're born again. We're a child of the living God, the child of the creator of the universe who does not have lack. He has whatever we need, and he has more than we could ever want. So what do we need to be saved from? It's, it's real hard to fight a battle on two fronts. When we're out there on the battlefield influencing people correctly or bringing, bringing light into a dark world, whatever, whatever the case is, it's hard to battle out there and battle right here at the same time. And so I just encourage you, uh, you can take the sword of the Spirit too. Use these weapons. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. So we use the Word of God as an offensive sword when we see or hear things happening that are contrary to His will. And we can also use that weapon against our own minds. And that, that floored me when I realized that. And we can be violent with those weapons to correct our own mind and our own thinking. God, uh, Paul said in Philippians 4.8, Think on these things. Meditate on these things. Whatever is true, noble, just, pure, lovely, a good report, has virtue and is praiseworthy. Think on those things. I heard somewhere, too, that the, the actual sword that the Roman soldiers used wasn't a big, long sword, but it was smaller, more like a dagger, so that when the arrows got past their shield, they could take that dagger and dig the arrows out of them and pull them out. Now, I don't know how long that sword was, but we can do that with our mind, too. The enemy is throwing fiery darts at our minds. And we can take that word, dig them out if they make it past our, our shield of faith, dig them out and replace it with positive. We can replace it with the word and the truth. But it is offensive in nature. Also, uh, the Holy Spirit works through the word. So we need to give him something to work with. Sometimes if, if we can't hear his voice, you know, we need, to, we need to give him something to work with. We need to maybe change up our, uh, what we're doing, our, our, uh, how we're reading, what books we're reading out of, and things like that. I know of a guy who, when he goes through a dry spell, a dry period, he goes right to Psalms. And he will read Psalms until he gets an answer. 
Um, I know a gal that uh, wanted to know more about the love of God, so she spent some time in the Song of Solomon. I usually like to go to either John uh, or Romans or Ephesians. They're kind of my go-tos, but, um, but that's what I like to do. Uh, and we need to give the Holy Spirit something to work with. And uh, hopefully that was life-giving. <laughs> uh, decrees. You can make decrees over yourself, too. You can take that word uh, and make decrees over yourself, make declarations over your family. You can arm yourself with the same mind of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 2.16, uh, Paul said that we have the mind of Christ so we can think like him. And this is huge. This is a big weapon in itself. You can tell that way of thinking, just like Jesus did in the desert, uh, that it is written and replace it with, with some word and declare that word over your, your life. Uh, when when uh, the devil took Jesus into the desert... He said, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus said, "Man shall it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. He took him up to a high place and said, throw yourself down from here for angels will catch you. And Jesus said, it is written again. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. And then he showed him, um, he showed him everything that he had control over. And he said, if you fall down and worship me, I will give you all of this. And he said, away with you, Satan, for it is written. And we can do the same thing. Um, if we feel like we, we don't have wisdom or if, if we need wisdom, we can say over ourselves from 1 Corinthians 1.30, but of him you are in Christ who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. He is my provision if we need provision, Philippians 4.19. Personalize it, say, and my God shall supply all my need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. If we have fear, Philippians 4.19, and my God shall supply all my need according to his riches in glory. Whoop. He said, 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And there are hundreds of promises in the word. Find those, speak those over our lives. Second Peter 1 says that we can become partakers of his divine nature through those great and precious promises that he gives us. Uh, worship is also a weapon. In Isaiah 30, he speak, God speaks of striking the enemy with his rod of punishment. In verse 32, he said, And in every place... Where the staff of punishment passes, which is every sweep of the rod of punishment, which the Lord lays on him, the enemy, it will be with tambourines and harps. So he says, I'm going to knock the snot out of the devil with my stick and my, my rod. And my rod is released through your worship, through your tambourines. Maybe these guys will be more excited about it. God said... I am going to knock the snot out of the devil, your enemy, with my stick. And my stick is released through your worship. Amen. So, um, you know, and worship, I think, is over the last 20 or 30 years has been a, a strength of the church, the body of Christ. We're learning how to come in and praise him and worship him and magnify his name and just celebrate his goodness. 
And sometimes we even lift our hands up just a little bit. And sometimes a lot. But this, I think, is where every cell in our body wants to be in this position. This is the victory position that we're praising him for all of his goodness and everything that he does in our lives and how he brings us through the valley of the shadow of death. But I think it, it can also be a weakness because, you know, coming in here is great. Um, but if we miss a week, maybe we only do it once a week, once every two weeks if we miss a week. Um, because Curtis and the worship team do a great job, but they're not going to be at my house on Tuesday afternoon if I have an issue. So I have to be able to go ahead and worship spontaneously in order to correct my thinking sometimes or, or to use that as uh, a weapon. Uh, the name of Jesus is a weapon that he's given us. It's not that uh, we use God, sometimes that's a bad word in, in the English language, but we can utilize his name as a weapon, as a tool. The name of Jesus is the name to which every knee shall bow, amen? Every tongue will confess that he is Lord. It's the name above every name. If there's a condition that we have that has a name, it has to bow to the name of Jesus. There's no, there's no way around it. No matter what our experience is, that's the truth. The mind of Christ we talked about, we've, we can think like him, we can recognize thought patterns that are inconsistent with his will and his word. We can speak the blood of Jesus over the situation, over our minds uh, for protection. One of the ways is to celebrate before it happens. Think, how will I respond to the Lord when he brings me through this issue? How am I going to rub it in the devil's face when God turns this situation into a testimony? And then we can just praise him that way. What's, what's the response going to look like when I gain the victory? Prayer is a good one. God strengthens us when we pray in the Spirit. And he gives us, it edifies us, he gives us what we need at the right time to move forward and do something. Um, and a lot of times it, it feels like the, the most powerful prayers that I've prayed personally are not prayers where I'm asking him to do something for me or to, to perform a miracle. And that's okay. That's, that's a need. He, he loves to do that. He loves to show himself worthy, or he loves to show himself in those situations. But it seems like the most powerful scripture uh, prayers, sorry, that, that I've prayed are prayers just to find out what his will is in my life. Just to find out, Lord, I have this situation. What's your will in this situation? And then I can go through his strength, and perform it. I can carry it out. I carry out his will. Um, forgiveness, repentance. Boy, forgiveness is a big one. Um, there are others, but anytime a bitter root takes uh, hold of our heart, um, it's bad news. I've, I've heard that when there's bitterness, unforgiveness in our lives, the analogy is similar to us drinking poison, wanting somebody else to die. So it just doesn't make sense. So I just encourage you, find a place of forgiveness, and sometimes we need to forgive ourselves. Sometimes that's the most important person or um, yeah, person that we need to forgive. So all of these weapons, I used to think they, that these weapons referred to in 2 Corinthians 10 were to be used on the devil, but now I see they are to be used on myself against my thought patterns that are at war with the enemy. So we're going to close. If I could have the worship team come forward.
There's other things to go through, but I'm out of time here. And if you're going through a challenge, I just want to encourage you, if you don't know who Jesus is or you don't know him as your Lord and Savior, I have some encouragement for you. We're going to look at what what Jesus said in that same Mark 8 passage that we talked about earlier after he said, why do you reason that you have no bread? He said, do you not perceive? Do you not understand? Is your heart still hardened? Then in verse 18, he said, having eyes to see, or having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? And I read this recently and I thought, you know, there's, there are times, and maybe some of us are here now, where, yes, we have eyes to see. We've seen God move in the past. We've seen him move on our behalf and perform miracles and, and provision and, and healings and do things for us. But maybe you're thinking, but Lord, I don't see it right now. And Lord, I've heard your voice in the past. I have ears. I know what your voice sounds like. I've heard that still small voice in my heart, but I haven't heard you for a long time. I I can't hear you when I'm reading the word. I can't hear what you're saying to me in my situation or in my circumstances right now. But the good news is I can remember. I can remember the things that he's done for me in the past. I can remember the issues that he's brought me through. I can remember the miracle that he performed to get us in the house that we have right now. I had no idea why we needed such a big house, but it it came evident about a year later. Uh, There was a miracle that that he performed to get the the truck, my truck to me, two trucks ago. Um, And before that, during the economic downturn, we had to take the truck that we did have and trade it for a van and a car and it wasn't a very nice truck to begin with, so you can imagine what the van and the car looked like. And uh, Lisa drove the car for a couple of years and then handed it down to Parker when we got a hand-me-down van. And I think, Parker, you drove it without heat for, what, two years or longer? Drove it without heat. The van that we got then, that's a whole nother hour talk, but when I... It, I prayed every time I started that thing. I said, Lord, in you, all things consist. I turned the key. All things are held together by you, Lord. Thank you. And that's no lie. I brought it to trade it in for the the truck that we needed before the kids came. And the door literally fell off. That thing fell apart at the car dealership. Thankfully, after I had made the deal already, but... And I can think of, you know, different opportunities that we've taken advantage of that increase our income. I had, a, I had a job for which I went to college and had a college degree. I was in that job, had another opportunity, ended up taking it, and through a series of events, my income tripled, more than tripled, actually, in uh, just a very short time. So God is involved God is involved in bringing us through and, and miracles on our behalf. So, Lord, I remember. It might be fun sometime to take somebody out, one of your, you and one of your Christian friends, go out wherever you like to go for coffee or whatever and, and just talk about the times when God brought you through, when God showed himself faithful. I think that would be fun. 
And either through all that encouragement and encouraging each other or the caffeine or maybe both, then you'd be ready to, to hit the battlefield. But we're all in a battle. We might as well embrace it. But we need our thinking to be on a firm foundation. And I don't know if you know the Lord today, but today can be your day. Today can be your day. You can know the forgiveness of your sins. You can have eternal life right now. So if that's the desire of your heart, we're going to pray. We'll all pray together with you. You only have to pray at one time if it, if it is the desire of your heart. So if we could all stand, please. <clears throat> And it doesn't mean that you're, if you pray this prayer and you want Jesus to be your Savior, it doesn't mean that you're joining this church. It just means that you're joining the family of God. So let's bow our heads, close our eyes, put your hand on your heart. We'll all pray it together. Just pray, Jesus, I am a sinner. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. Heavenly Father, I give you my life. I ask you to take it. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I receive your free gift of salvation. And I thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today in the ministry of God's Word. My prayer today is that you will experience a new revelation of who Christ is in you. Feel free to make as many copies of this message as you like. For more information about Church for the Harvest scheduled ministry times in meeting place, please visit us at churchfortheharvest.com or contact the church office at 320-759-1400. At Church for the Harvest, you belong.